Today's sermon text comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, speaking to Timothy here, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you... To keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise this day for your word, which endures through all generations and which strikes to the core of our lives, help us not to be persuaded by the love of money or by the possessions that we have. Help us not to define ourselves by those categories, but rather to pursue you and your righteousness with all that we are. Bless this time, we pray, with the presence of your Spirit. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray these things. Amen. What makes for a good life? 
What is the purpose of life? What is life all about? Questions of purpose and meaning crop up in our thinking from time to time, usually around transition periods in our lives, milestone years, and things like that. And there are many kinds of answers that we might come up with for what the meaning of life is all about. This passage from 1 Timothy gives us three words, three short words, a three-word phrase that can summarize what the good life, the virtuous life, is all about. And I've put them up on the screen here as kind of a guide for us today. Godliness with contentment. If we can achieve godliness with contentment, then we'll be living pretty well. That's how Paul opens this passage here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But these two ideas paired together, godliness with contentment, that's awfully hard for us to achieve. Usually we are pursuing one or the other of those, uh, but pursuing both at the same time is a little more difficult than it sounds. Godliness, on the one hand, has to do with your external behavior, your, your piety, perhaps, your holiness, your outward-oriented actions toward other people. It has to do with your relationships with others, your relationship to the created order, your relationship to material things. Godliness means living in the way that God wants you to live. And for us as Christians, godliness means imitating Jesus in how we relate to other people and other things in the whole world. Now, contentment, on the other hand, is a term that literally means self-sufficiency. It's a rare term in the New Testament, but it has to do with this idea of being self-sufficient. Sufficient, not dependent on material things or other people, uh, not, not possessed by our possessions, but somehow detached from material things. It, it, it has to do with the ability to be okay with life, regardless of the external circumstances or situation that you find yourself in. Contentment is about being rooted and having peace. A scriptural phrase is the peace that passes understanding, right? Being content in all circumstances. And again, for us as Christians, this is all about imitating Jesus in how we relate to our life circumstances. Jesus is the perfect example of godliness with contentment. And so this phrase is simply a way of describing our quest to live as Jesus lived. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Paul is the author of many letters in the New Testament, and uh, this is on the shorter end of some of those. He's writing to Timothy, who is a young church leader uh, based in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is the same city where the letter to the Ephesians was written. So we have Paul writing to the Ephesians in general, and then he's writing to this young pastor, essentially a young church leader in Ephesus, 1 Timothy, and then later 2 Timothy. And we can piece together some of the issues that the church in Ephesus was dealing with by looking at these 
letters. And one problem, especially that's present in this first letter to Timothy, uh, one problem that presents itself in the church in Ephesus is that people were concerned with winning versus losing. They were concerned with winning spiritually and materially, often at the expense of other people, the, the losers, those that would not win materially or spiritually. And this text reminds us that the distinction between winners and losers is a false distinction. Like Job in the Old Testament who lost everything to all all of these um, natural disasters. He lost children and his health and all of his crops and animals. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will go to the grave Paul reminds Timothy of the same idea. We all came into this world naked and empty-handed. And we will all leave this world naked and empty-handed. We can't take anything with us. And every human being on earth is on that same path through this world. From birth to death. The invention of categories of levels of society or friends and enemies, these are actually contrary to God's intentions. For God gives life to everything, Paul says. And so God cares about all people equally. God did not create the distinctions that we make between each other. We have done that. Godliness with contentment then is not just my task as an individual, but it is our task as a species to be godly and content as a human race would be a marvelous place to arrive, wouldn't it? The goal of this whole existence, the the goal of the good life, is to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love, all of the virtues that... Paul lists here endurance, gentleness. There are several lists of virtues in the New Testament and none of them are meant to be exhaustive. There are many other virtues we could add to the list. God calls us to experience true life, eternal life, in this world right now. A life that is marked by sacrificial love. Not by animosity or hatred or selfishness, or comparison. Remember that Jesus taught his disciples that if we love people who love us, we have done nothing really remarkable at all. Everybody does that. It's easy to love those who love you. But the way of Jesus challenges us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to live Humbly, to forgive willingly, to share material resources with those who need them. We do these things because we are people who have made the good confession. This is a phrase that Paul uses a couple of times in this passage. Once in reference to Timothy and once in reference to Jesus himself. To have made the good confession or literally to confess the, the good confession. Uh, we know what Paul is talking about because he points to the example of Jesus. And we know that story from Jesus and his life. We don't know that much about Timothy's life. 
but in Jesus' life, when he is on trial for blasphemy or sedition or, or um, a, a revolt against Roman rule, perhaps, uh, he is standing before the Roman emperor, or not emperor, wow, he didn't make it that far, the Roman governor, Pilate, and Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? This is the, the, the charge that was laid against him by his people. And Jesus did not quibble about it. He didn't beat around the bush, but he made the good confession. This is the language Paul is using here. He confessed with his lips. You say that it is so, or yes, it is as you say. Along those lines, he confessed to the reality that he was in fact the king of the Jews, or the Messiah, the Savior, the one who is Lord of all. That is the good confession that apparently Timothy had made at one point in his life as well, perhaps when he was baptized. A baptism is the outward sign of of an inward transformation, and it is usually accompanied by some kind of verbal proclamation on the part of the one being baptized. I'll ask so-and-so, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord? Have you accepted him as your Savior? And they will say, yes. There's a verbal proclamation, a good confession that goes along with that act of baptism. Timothy must have made that kind of confession at some point in his life, at his baptism or otherwise. And so Timothy is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all other earthly loyalties. If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus is above all of the other loyalties that might demand our attention or our allegiance or our love. Jesus made that confession before Pilate and it ended up costing him his life. The good confession is not something that comes free of charge. It's something that costs us. So the goal of the good life if it's to be an imitation of Jesus, is not to tally the highest score, but to make this good confession and to follow Jesus on the path of contentment and generous self-sacrifice. Sometimes we do pretty well in living that kind of way. Sometimes we are tempted to stray from the course. So Paul urges Timothy, and by extension, all of us, to flee from all temptation. To turn away from whatever might distract us from this path of godliness with contentment. In other words, Paul urges Timothy to flee from vices, some of which he listed back in verse 4 of this chapter. And he calls Timothy to pursue virtues which he lists in this passage. Flee from vices, pursue virtues. Now for the past few weeks, we have explored a spiritual formation tool called the Enneagram in some detail. Uh, To summarize briefly, there are nine types on a a circular wheel, sort of a a diagram. Uh, This is meant to describe different personality types. And uh, each of us, the idea is, is, to be di- is to be dominant in one of those nine types. Although we don't fit cleanly necessarily into one specific type. You probably noticed um, 
multiple uh, types, as they were described, applying to you in one way or another. And that's fine. That's to be expected. If you recall, each of the nine types had a virtue and a vice that was associated with it. Uh, a virtue and a vice that were particularly dominant in people of that type. The virtues are a way that we receive and share in abundance of life. And the vices are the primary temptations that lead us away from abundance of life. And just like we can fit into many of the different types, many of the virtues and vices can find expression in our lives as well. Paul writes in 1 Timothy here, that we should flee from all of this materialism and love of money and so forth. And just like the lists of virtues are not necessarily complete, uh, the lists of vices in scripture are not necessarily complete either. We can, we can expand on this idea and, and say that we should flee from anything that keeps us from pursuing godliness with contentment, including those nine vices that are described in the journal that many of you are looking at. Anger, pride, deceit, envy, greed, fear, gluttony, lust, and laziness. We should flee from all of those and instead pursue all of the virtues, including those that are listed in the journal again, sincerity, humility, truthfulness, calm, non-attachment, courage, sobriety, innocence, and action. Godliness with contentment involves internal transformation, turning from those vices toward these virtues. But it's not just an internal work, this godliness with contentment idea. It also involves commitment to sacrificial generosity in relationship to other people. Godliness with contentment affects our thoughts and our attitudes and our behaviors toward other people, toward possessions, toward the created order. Thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors. In the past few weeks, we've talked about mind, heart, and body, those three sort of triads or centers that the Enneagram uh, introduced us to. We've been looking at those all month. It's the same idea. Pursuing godliness with contentment involves living with a Christ-centered generosity of mind and heart and body. Thinking generously of other people, feeling generously toward other people, and behaving generously on behalf of others, even if any of those things cost us something. Even if it costs us everything. That's the way of Jesus. And if we can imitate Jesus in these ways, then we'll be living a pretty good life. Now let me take a step, step back from the text and make an observation about what is going on here. Paul, of course, is this very famous early Christian missionary, writer of so many books in the New Testament. And Timothy is this young Christian leader who is following in Paul's footsteps. The connection between Paul and Timothy demonstrates something essential for us as to how we should live as followers of Jesus today. Paul and Timothy were connected to each other. 
None of us can do this thing on our own. We need each other. And specifically, we need Paul's in our lives to give us advice and direction and guidance and correction when we need it. We need mentors who will guide us forward on the path of Jesus. We need people who know us and who can speak truth into our lives from a Christ-centered perspective. So as you reflect, ask yourself this question. Who is Paul in your life? You could have many Pauls over the course of your life. Perhaps the most important Paul for you has already passed away. That's all right. Who is the next Paul in your life? Who is the next one to, to step in and lead you in that, in that way? If you don't have a Paul in your life, if you can't picture that this kind of person, then look around yourself. Whom do you admire? Even in this congregation, whom do you look up to? Whom do you consider to be wise? Who exemplifies Jesus for you? See if you can take enough courage to reach out to that person. And ask that person to be your guide, your companion, your spiritual friend. But that's not the only need that we have. We don't only need to have Paul's in our lives. Each of us who have matured in the Christian faith has the responsibility to be a Paul for a Timothy. We are to be disciples of Jesus who are making more disciples of Jesus. This is what Jesus charged us with in the Great Commission that we find at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go into all the world and baptize people. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. So who is Timothy in your life? Who are you investing in? Who has invited you to be their support? to speak truth into their lives, to be a spiritual guide for them. Can you identify one or two Timothy-like people in your life? Companions for your journey, at least at this juncture in your, in your life, at this point in your life. People that you're investing in, people that you're working with to disciple in the way of Jesus. If you don't have a Timothy, here are some ideas. Look around. Look around at this congregation. Look at our youth. Our youth, our teenagers, need friends and companions, partners that they can trust, people who will listen to them and offer them sound Christian advice. Uh, Anne Galloway has volunteered to connect us uh, together, adults and, and youth. And she knows our youth pretty well after having spent the past year with them. And she's not here today, but you could reach out to her, uh, call her, or, or uh, send her a message on Facebook and say, I'd like to be a Paul for a Timothy in the youth group. Can you connect me with one of our youth? And she'll, she'll do that. She'll be glad to partner you up with one of our youth and see if we can make a good fit so that you could be a, a friend, a companion, a, a guide. But it's not just our youth. We have, we have a number of uh, young people in their 20s 
that have graduated out of high school, some are in college, some are working, and there are a number of folks who could use a support, could use a friend, could use someone to guide them on their journeys. But it doesn't even have to be someone younger than you. It doesn't have to be based on age. Who in this congregation, or who in your life, outside of this congregation, could you influence positively for the sake of the kingdom of God? What might this kind of relationship look like between a Paul and a Timothy? Well, I'm glad you asked. It can be something very simple. It doesn't have to be very formal or involved. It could be just getting together once a month for lunch or coffee or maybe every other week or so just to sit down and check in and talk and share about what life is like, challenges and opportunities uh, for the, the Timothy person to wrestle with questions of faith uh, for, for there to be a faithful companionship along the journey, for, for both people to be pointed always back to the way of Jesus. It takes intentionality and commitment, frequent contact. It means invi- in, uh, identifying strengths and callings. It involves urging each other forward in fighting the good fight of the faith. It means taking hold of eternal life of pursuing virtues and fleeing from vices. It means living generously in the name of Jesus. I'd like to set a goal for us as a congregation this year. By the end of this year, this is the end of September, so we've got three months left. October, November, and December, and it'll be 2020 already. Are you ready? But uh, maybe by the end of this year, maybe by the end of this year, each of us can identify One Paul in our lives, and one Timothy in our lives. Someone that we're able to reach upward to, to say, I I can use your support, I I could use your advice, your wisdom as a companion, and someone that we can reach our hands out toward to say, I will journey with you at this phase in your life. Maybe we can each find one Paul and one Timothy in our lives. Can you imagine how much better your life would be if you had a Paul? Can you imagine how much better someone else's life could be, how much richer and fuller someone else's life could be if they were your Timothy? So take a chance and invest yourself in the life of someone else. Keep your Paul figures close to you and reach out to those Timothys as we pursue godliness with contentment. It involves internal transformation and a commitment to relational generosity. Let's make it our goal to be that connected with each other, to be partners with each other on this journey of life as we each try to live a good and virtuous life in imitation of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I give you thanks for this body of believers. The fact that you have called us all to be part of the same congregation for this period of time is a marvel and a wonder. And um, we count on your grace and your wisdom to make the most of this opportunity, to make the most of this time. Help us to be even more tightly connected to each other and to those that are in our sphere of influences than we have been in the past. For those who are in need of 
a mentor or a, a friend or a, a someone to help them pursue virtue and flee from vice. We pray that that connection would be made and soon. And for those who don't have someone to lead, someone to guide, or who don't feel like they have anything to offer, help us, help us each to notice those around us and to lift each other up as we walk together in this journey of faith. Help us to flee from, from the, the possessions that, that possess our lives and to live generously, radically generous lives that speak to your truth. Help us to live the eternal life, the true life, the life that is based on that good confession that you alone are Lord, and that you deserve all of our loyalties and all of our hopes and dreams. Help us, Lord, to follow you all of our days and to give honor to you by how we relate to each other. In Jesus' name we pray.